This episode is brought to you by Famous Grouse Scotch Whiskey. You're listening to Fix Me a Drink, a Flaviar podcast. Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, Flaviar's head of cocktails and spirits. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host, David Wondrich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing just fine. Yourself? I am very well. Um, we have quite the episode lined up today. Uh, I, I love talking with the experts, you know, so uh, this will be fun. And we have a very good one. We have uh, Famous Grouse's uh, fairly new master blender, Craig Johnstone, um, who's been in the industry for, for a number of years and has a really interesting uh, story himself and is mm-hmm. quite knowledgeable about both the art and the science of blending whiskey, which uh, always fascinates us. And, you know, blending is one of those topics that we'll never get to the bottom of. I love talking about it. I love learning about it. Every time I learn something new. Without further ado, we'll uh, pour ourselves some famous grouse and we'll get Craig on the line. I really appreciate it. That's my pleasure. Hey, Craig. I think Dave and I have pretty good jobs. I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> your job might be even better than our job. I mean, you you are you know you get to taste whiskey all day. You're the master blender of, of famous grouse. Obviously, a great responsibility. I mean, yes, famous grouse is a uh, is definitely one of those whiskeys that's I, I, I've always known it as being deeply ingrained in Scottish culture. It's the best selling scotch in Scotland, I think, for like almost 45 years or something crazy like that. So no pressure on you, Craig. Um, <laughs> not at all. It's funny. Um, it's funny. It's funny you say that, Noah. When uh, when I took the job last year in 2022, I got um, a few messages messages of support, but most of the messages I got from family, particularly my uh, my uncles, was um, yeah, basically try not to screw it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I got the message loud and clear how important Grouse is here in in the UK as well as obviously. Uh, Growing up with it myself in the industry, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's a fantastic pro, uh, product, and um, I'm well, a little bit maybe a little bit boastful to say I, I think it's just as good as uh, as when I took over, if not a little bit better. <laughs> Boy, Dave and I obviously we're we're drinking glasses of, of famous grouse uh, as as we chat with you, so uh, trying and, and as always enjoying it. I was going to say that is not an unusual occurrence for Dave no. and I to be drinking famous <laughs> grouse. Wherever you go, it must not take much explanation to say to folks like, oh, where do you work? And it's like, famous grouse. Like, I can only imagine <laughs> their uh, their response to, uh, to hearing about that. It's I've been in been in the industry for a while now and, and worked for a number of brands that you see um, that you see around around the place. Uh, and you get that kind of little sense of pride when you see someone order something that you've you've put together. But um, with famous grouse, it's a it's a completely different kettle of fish. It's it's ubiquitous here. It's it's in every single bar. I think um, there's been a few times walking through the supermarket, and particularly in the lead up to Christmas, there were uh, my local supermarket that the sort of shelves were were empty. And it's one of those things where you're you're proud that people are, are buying it so fast, but you're a little bit annoyed that the, the shop staff are not stocking the shelves as right, quick right. as they, as they oh, maybe yeah. could. 
they're going in the back pulling out the cases you're like i'll help you stock this like let's go absolutely <laughs> absolutely absolutely I've always, uh, my visits to Scotland, uh, one of the 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 the, uh, the highlights is always sitting in a in a Highland pub somewhere, very far out of the way, and having several low flyers as 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 they they were called to me at least uh, of, of of the grouse, and just little you know shots of grouse. Uh, that's that goes so well with the countryside. It goes so well with the with the climate and uh, just a fine thing. Yeah, the the low flyer is still a thing. I was I had a actually had a crew across from Texas at the weekend doing some filming, and um, they were introduced to the concept of the low flyer. and And I think the fact that you know a, a half and half, as we call it here, or a, a boiler maker, as as you might call it in the states, the name for it in Scotland is a low flyer. It's actually named after famous grouse because it's a a low flying bird and it's a small glass yeah. next to a large yeah. glass. I mean, that gives you an idea of just how uh, important the, the the brand is. Um, I think the the interesting one for me last week though we, we had a we did have a low flyer with the team that were over but actually um I didn't realize this but famous grouse was the I, I believe and um David you'll be able to correct me on this if I'm wrong but I believe grouse was the the uh, the, the the original whiskey used in the penicillin at milk and honey without looking it up I'm pretty sure you're right I mean grouse was in the early days of the cocktail revolution that was kind of the the popular mixing whiskey uh, yeah. Because it was a it was a little richer than uh, than the than the the usual options and uh, and uh, maybe just a little more exotic for Americans, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was a sign that you were paying attention and knew your whiskey. Uh, so uh, yeah, I seem to re- I'm pretty sure that that's what Sasha stocked. He only stocked one. <laughs> right, <laughs> and one one of every one brand of each type of, of of spirit. That was how they worked at Milk and Honey. And Sam Ross, who who obviously created the cocktail there, like obviously it depends upon two types of whiskey, right? Like a you know a beautiful Highland whiskey, famous grouse, but also like a delicious kind of like little bit of smoky whiskey too. And I think it 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 his genius was that it you know to blending those two types of whiskeys, and you don't normally. I mean, most bars, you know, it's just barely can get a bartender to make a scotch cocktail, right? So the -hmm. idea that a cocktail would use not one, but two different types of scotches seems like doubly like sacrilegious, you know, and like, you know, (laughs) just completely off the wall. But it it, it works, especially with the ginger syrup. And it's just, I don't know, if if our listeners have never had it, I'm sure many of them have, you should definitely have it. I think, uh, you know, Sam has his spread the gospel of the penicillin around the world. I had it at a Vegas hotel once, a frozen version that he had created for a very large Vegas strip hotel, which is kind of hilarious to it was me. probably in the gun, right? It was It was like in a uh, one of those like uh, machines. Oh, yeah. like, uh, oh, yeah, a slushy yeah, yeah. machine. A slushy yeah, machine. Yeah. And it was a slushy <laughs> yeah. version. And it was just like, I, I could not believe the long odds that the penicillin has gone right. from, you know, like bartender, hipster, handshake in a, New York bar that seats probably what twelve people, fourteen people to like fourteen you know, in the back, six at the bar, something like right, that. Depends on how small yeah. the people are, I guess, that night. So, yeah. but like you know, to you know, a mammoth famous casino where you know people are, you know, there are really more people, you know, uh, in one tiny corner that ever ever went to milk and honey. So it's it's just kind of a funny, uh, so funny how that has caught on. But I remember years ago seeing. 
in Europe, seeing a friend, I opened their freezer and they had a bottle of famous grouse in the freezer. A lot of folks, <laughs> they like to store it there too, where it's just mm -hmm. good, good on the rocks. Just good. Ready, ready to ready to go, yeah. Well, ice shots of anything are kind of good, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, really, but iced, uh, iced uh, scotch whiskey, I think, uh, I'm going to have to try that. I don't think I've ever yeah. put a bottle of that in the freezer. It gets a little bit thicker, a bit, little bit more yeah. viscous, obviously, as um, as it tries to tries to freeze. And um, yeah, it's it, it definitely it's definitely something that that, that does work. Uh, I'm used to drinking vodka that way. That's practically the only way I drink vodka, because uh, here in Brooklyn we've got lots of uh, uh, Central Asian and uh, and kind of kebab type restaurants uh, that are all part of the former Soviet. Empire, and those people all uh, are perfectly fine bringing out setups for frozen vodka. So you bring the frozen <laughs> vodka, and they will they will make sure that you've got everything to pour it. But uh, but uh, and it does make it oily, but it does kind of it mutes the flavor, which with vodka isn't such a hardship. But with grouse, you know, there's actual flavor in there. I mean, that, I believe at least there was before you took over. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there probably still is. <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely, definitely still is. I, I think, I think what what's quite interesting and intriguing, and maybe more with a blended scotch than some of the single malts, is as that as that drink starts to warm up, it sort of reveals itself in layers. So maybe that's the, yeah. maybe that's the, the the fix is to have that little that little sip, you know, sipping scotch from the freezer is um is possibly the possibly the winner there. But um, yeah, yeah, you want we, to sip uh, it rather than shoot it down. I would think. Because it's kind of a waste yeah. to, to shoot it down. Yeah, absolutely. My, well, my brand, my brand team will, will obviously get me to clarify that we drink it responsibly. Uh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, and if you couldn't tell from the way that Craig was talking about the thermodynamics of the freezing of the whiskey, Mm -hmm. You have a science background, right? I mean, you studied astrophysics before entering the whiskey industry, right? Is that? Um, it's a well. I, I I studied astrophysics and I have a degree in astrophysics, but um, the whiskey industry actually came came first. Came um, first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was um, when I was at high school. Uh, I I was quite. I, I really enjoyed maths and 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 physics and chemistry in particular. So I like I like my my. Um, you could say logical subjects, um, but the one the one sort of downside to my uh, my English mark was actually public speaking. I wasn't very good at public speaking, um, so when I left school before I went to university, I thought let's get a get a summer job that that, that shows me how or that gives me the opportunity to to stand in front of people and and improve um, that well what, what was essentially a fear at the time, um, mm -hmm. and I actually got a job at the local distillery. I'm from a little village called McMerry, so the local distilleries is five miles down the road, and they offered me a job, and I started on my 18th birthday. So it's wow. very easy to remember my industry uh, anniversary because <laughs> it's uh, it's on it's the same the same day as same day as my my twin sister's birthday, as well as my own. Started there and did that for a season um, before going off to to university, and and I realised pretty quickly. Um, I, I'm sure you guys will connect with this as well, but for every, when when it comes to you know, booze and, and booze culture, every story that you give out, you get three or four back. Now, some yeah. of them are mm -hmm. maybe a bit taller than others, but that that's a it's a brilliant conversational lubricant. So some of them are really quite tall. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. In fact, some of them are quite tall and have gone all the way around the world and, and are almost seen as facts these days. But um, mm-hmm. I fell in love with that aspect of, of, of the Scotch industry. So while I was at uni, I was actually still doing uh, distillery tour guiding at the weekends and also working in the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society whiskey bar in the evenings to help mm-hmm. pay for my accommodation. So uh, I got through astrophysics um, and managed to hold down two whiskey jobs at the same time. Grouse is obviously, I think it starts officially right in 1897 as like an official brand. I mean, that's, I mean, kind of incredible. So Matthew Gloke III was the company owner at the time. So his grandfather had started that. It's a, it's a similar story to others in the Scotch industry. Green grocer becomes wine and tea blender. Yeah. Um, and then obviously starts dabbling in spirits. Um, he was a little bit different in that his shop was in Perth in the Highlands. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas, you know, many of them were obviously had your Kilmarnock, Glasgow. But uh, yeah, he, he had a shop in, in Perth. And to uh, essentially sort of celebrate the, the idea of going out into the country, um, he, he launched the Grouse brand. Um, in 1905, you know, whether it was, a, a, again, an act of, um, you know, braggadociousness or or because of the popularity of it, he decided to rename it the famous Grouse in 1905. <laughs> um, and that's, that's when his daughter, Philippa, actually drew, uh, drew the first mascot, they drew the first icon, you know, the red grouse on, on the label. Mm. And, and Gilbert, as is known today, is now a, obviously a, a global icon around the world. You, you see yeah. it and you, you know there's a, a sign of quality there. You know, tea blending, wine blending, we, we actually, in our sample room, uh, still have a, a couple of really, really early bottles of this sherry that he bought. Um, I'm talking mm. sherry that's 100 years. It's, wow. it's probably, wow. now, yeah, probably yeah. now vinegar. But it's in an original crate, you know, with the original order attached to it. Um, and to see and feel that history is, um, well, it adds even more pressure to me for the job, but um, it gives you an idea that, you know, at the backbone of Famous Grouse has always been these wonderful sherry casks that we still, mm-hmm. you know, still use a, a really good proportion of today. It's kind of a good good reminder that wine in 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 the UK was a blended commodity, just just like uh, just like spirits, you know, and and uh, and uh, that the, the spirits blending comes from a long tradition of uh, yeah. in English and then Scottish uh, Irish blenders had been blending their own wine brands for hundreds of years at that point, so they had, they had such a good good amount of knowledge. The the history side of things. You, you can you can stop me if I'm getting too too far into the weeds, but I know that you like this sort of thing, David. And again, you're prob- probably better at it. Probably better at it than me. But um, we'll indulge you for this time. Yeah. <laughs> I find it amazing that if you look at a lot of the cognac pioneers, they were all Irish guys. Yeah, a lot of them were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They always talk about there's a certain certain guy down in France they always call Richard, and his name was clearly Richard because he was Irish. So there was that that history ran through. Um, you know the, the 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 all the British Isles, and you know, eighteen fifty was when we were legally allowed to blend malt and grain. And you look at that history of you know just the invention of the coffee still, um, yeah. yeah. Or well, again, there are different arguments. You could say that a Scotsman had the original blueprint with the Robert Stein with his his still. The Stein still. Yeah. I have maybe the only uh, drawing of a Stein still. Have you ever seen what it looked like? The ugliest piece of equipment. I mean, that is like an inch from an engineering point of view. That's mind-boggling. You know, yeah. we have the Rube Goldberg idea where, where these machines are just like, you know, drawn for comic effect with all kinds yeah. of just yeah. 
ridiculous, like almost impossible ways of working. Well, that's what this thing is. Uh, yeah. the, the spirit got sprayed into chambers from carburetors and blown oh, wow. sideways through horsehair uh, <laughs> filters. Oh my it's God. Like, okay. Too much. This is practical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he, he maybe introduced the first, uh, he maybe introduced the first continuous still Robert Stein, but Ines Coffee definitely introduced the most elegant design. Yeah, it's the one that worked easily every time. I tell you what, it's a, it's a piece of engineering. Obviously, I get to work with grain whiskey today, so mm-hmm. you know we 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 use it as our as our base. Um, we use both corn and wheat based for for famous grouse. But one of the um, more interesting, I suppose, COVID lockdown stories. I was I was based in Tasmania before coming back here, uh, working as a a blender and distiller and well everything else. And when COVID hit, our island went into lockdown. So you have this island the size of Ireland with a population of Edinburgh, and suddenly no one was allowed in or out. And um, down there, we we saw this huge scramble for uh, hand sanitizer, which was the same all around the world. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, Tasmania is a forgotten state down in Australia. So we decided we we would solve the problem ourselves. So we had, one of the projects I was uh, put in charge of was essentially the you know conceptualization, design, um, and then building and commissioning of a, of the world's smallest coffee still. So we built this huh. thing. It did a thousand bulk liters of spirit a day when it's running at full full power. Oh, that's tiny for for one of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it was built to fit in our shed. Um, we worked with local still uh, still makers down there um, called Stillsmiths and got a, a project manager um, in Queensland helped helped me through the the uh, project and myself and and one of the other guys on the staff down there actually watched this thing go from. Um, yeah, from from conceptualization to producing spirit, knowing that if the hand sanitizer bubble burst, which it clearly was, uh, you know, likely to do, mm-hmm. we had this still that could make, you know, essentially malt spirit from a, a continuous process. So, you know, to see the elegance of the small one, and then obviously to to work with the the four story high massive yeah. stills here yeah. is is absolutely phenomenal. If I could ask, uh, how tall was were the, were the columns on the small one? So it was 31 plates and it was the height of the shed. So it must have been about maybe seven or eight meters. Oh, yeah, that's for a, for a column still, that's tiny. That's, yeah. that's tiny, yeah. But yeah. we got, I think one of the myths that's probably worth um, busting here, because I'm sure we've got lots of um, lots of listeners who like to get geeky about some of these things, but a lot of the time, and even back in the day when the, it, when the coffee still came out, people said it was silent spirit, it didn't have a character. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason we use two different types in in, uh, in our base for grouse. It's because they are they are all different. They're pulling off at the same ABV, but you know, depending on how that still is run, you can actually pull different right. flavors out. Whether you're changing plates or changing, um, you know, the the alcohol going in or whatever mm-hmm. you're doing. So we'll do new make spirit analysis on all of our malts and all of our grains. And the most interesting one is when we bring a new member of the team in and show them the difference in the grains. Um, we've got one that smells like bubble gum and the other one smells really quite oily and quite dirty. Mm. Um, so, you know, it kind of it really busts that myth for me anyway to to see those different characters coming out of, of these uh, these massive factories. I mean, it, I've seen that in in Canada where their distilleries are huge, using uh, yeah. And you know, in one distillery, they'll use make two different grades of of blending spirit, yeah. 
one which is you know kind of thin and boring and the other one you're like oh my god just give me this you know yeah, put it in absolutely. a barrel i'll drink this i'll drink this all day it's 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 flavorful it's you know it's elegant it's it's uh it's creamy <laughs> but it's it really you know coming out of the same stills it's just uh it really it really is uh yeah i don't think people do understand that that it's possible to make a very tasty tasty spirit even at high proof but people understand, like, obviously, like bourbon or rye in America, most of it's made on a column still, you know, no problem understanding that you can produce a lot of flavor, mm -hmm. obviously. But for some reason with scotch, like, so much of the focus traditionally has been on the single malts. And mm -hmm. like, you know, and the whole, and maybe because it's confusing that you have single malts and you have grain whiskey, but this idea of like the grain whiskey is often kind of like, like either not talked about or talked about like incredibly briefly to the point where it's sort of like people seem to imply that it doesn't matter, but obviously it matters a great deal because all the different malts are bringing different things to the to the blend. But the the backbone of the blend is the grain whiskey, and it's yeah. not just a blank canvas or you know mm. some white bread. It's it's it actually also has a lot of flavor itself and is aged for years in Scotland. And you know it, I don't know it's just it's just interesting. Uh, you know the that we're talking about myths and 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 long stories and i think that's one of them the the more that dave and i do this the more interested i am in the grain whiskey kind of component of, of blends in some ways less interested in the single malt since we know about those but like we know less about this the the, the grain whiskey part during lockdown when we couldn't really when the liquor stores were, were closed or were inaccessible uh you know a couple of years ago i i was i had run out of blended scotch and I wanted to make some Scotch cocktails. I was doing a cocktail a day on Twitter for this whole big thing. And uh, I needed to, I wanted to do some Scotch cocktails. So first I started, I blended uh, five different malts that I had lying around and it was okay. And then I went and I found a couple grain whiskeys I had. And once I put those in, the malts just opened right up and you could really taste them. Yeah. It was, it was really kind of a revelation, you know, and, uh, and uh, I, I was able to get a couple good sized bottles out of it. Uh, and that was uh, that was very fun. I don't envy you having to make it come out the same every time. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part. We're a little bit lucky um, in that, you know, scale of famous berries helps with that a little bit. So, you know, we're 45 million units a year of, mm -hmm. uh, of famous guys goes out. So there's there's generally a few hundred thousand liters kicking about in a tank. So we're topping up, which which does help that Solera style. But what I think is amazing is, you know, I inherited this this um, historic recipe that that has these different characteristics and different styles in it. And one of the things we've done recently is we sort of modernised that a bit because the language was maybe a little bit a little bit old. We've taken all those those traditional um, characteristics and turned them into flavour profiles for us, which allows us to then talk much easier to um, our finance team when we're buying stuff. We can give them actual distilleries based on flavour. But um, watching how those things interact together is is amazing, and and we can use that original recipe uh, on the bench, and we can still build a consistent product from batch to batch, um, knowing that if there's anything, you know, we'll, we know every single cask. That was the thing that blew me away. I came, I came from, you know, a, a 600,000 bulk liter uh, facility in Tasmania to a 45 million unit, you know, blend. And I was, ex I was expecting not standards to slip, but I was expecting the systems to have maybe been streamlined a bit. And in actual mm -hmm. fact, they were, 
in some cases even more sort of thorough and and in every single case they were as you know thorough as as we had them for a for a small um you know for a small facility so we myself and a team are looking at over 80,000 casks including grain whiskey every single wow. year um just because we know that there might be that one little cask that gets in there that throws everything out um, mm-hmm. And then when when we get our malts in, we'll build a you know build bench samples to look at them versus uh, current. We also try and blend for the future, so we're looking at a lot of sustainable um, sort of projects right now, and making sure that any decisions we make around sustainability of casks, sustainability of new make spirit, isn't going to throw the blend out. So, you know, to to achieve the consistency is a testament to I think the quality of the original recipe, mm-hmm. but also to the systems that we have in place at Famous Grouse that allows me and the team to actually spend the time to look at everything. Like nothing goes into a vat, nothing gets tipped from a cask until it's been positively released by the team. Wow. Now that is like, that's mind blowing. That, that, that for With me 80, was 80,000 casks a year. That is, I know, that's, that's incredible. That's a lot. <laughs> it's that's, a lot of work every single day. <laughs> that's the part of the yeah. job that, where yeah. everybody thinks that you're having fun all day <laughs> drinking whiskey. It's like, yeah, you come here, sample a couple hundred casks with me for like more than one day. Most people yeah. just tap out. <laughs> I've got a technical blending question just out of curiosity. Asking you for know, friends. In, in like cognac, they do intermediate blends where they'll they'll say, okay, here we're taking like this many barrels of say a our, our, our mellow uh uh, kind of not very woody cognac and we'll we'll do the mellow component for these huge batches that they end up bottling and then they'll say yeah. well, well here we'll do our sharp woody component and and so they're they're putting they're they're combining things into building blocks uh do you yeah. do you do it that way or do you uh go barrel by barrel and every every time uh it, it depends for for the basically for our current recipes so anything that's going to t- get tipped into Famous Grouse Finest, the biggest seller, it is done cask by cask. Okay. Um, but when, I'm not saying if, when you guys come to Scotland and spend some time in the blending lab, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, and we're building some stuff, then I will have, you know, I'll build building blocks there for, for ease of um, new product development, essentially. Yeah. But when it comes to actually building bench blends and showing off the character of the finest, we, we, we will do it. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it uh, with, with those building blocks. But when it comes to actually putting stuff in, it is literally every cask is nosed. And then every every cask is, is nosed in terms of liquid. Uh, and then every cask is also assigned a future home, uh, if it has mm-hmm. one, to make sure that we're um, getting the most that we can out of, out of the wood. And we're also, you know, rejecting um, the bottom percentage of our, of our oak each time. So we're not just filling casks that hold liquid. We're right. making sure that the... Uh, that they, they do contribute. But it's um it, it's an interesting question because it's one that particularly when putting together um blends in the past, those building blocks can be extremely useful because if you find a flaw and you know where that flaw is in terms of that building block, then you only have to look at, I suppose, those casks right. to fix it. But right. that's that's right. more that's more for new product development and um and recipe building as opposed to mm. uh continuation. So it's yeah, it's a it's a really good question. I think the other thing, just to sort of to to round this off, looking at those different casks, because we we've come on a tangent from this from the grain whiskey. One of the funnest things in the last six months has been pulling the recipe apart, not necessarily to um, change it, because well, 
I think we would probably need some kind of referendum here in Scotland if I was going to change anything. <laughs> but um, to understand how these things come together, um, and there's a there's a particular one of our components is is something like less than 0.5 percent of the of the blend, and the component itself is one that should be interchangeable with another. And it's really funny because we, you know, I've, I've tried to pull that out to see what mm-hmm. would happen, and mm. the whole thing just falls apart. Wow! Um, it is inc- it's incredible. Um, the other thing that I love, you know, telling people about and showing people is sulfury spirit. And when I say sulfury spirit, I'm not talking cask sulfur. I'm talking uh, spirit that you, the sulfur you get from the stills. Mm-hmm. A little bit of that adds so much body. You know, oh, that's interesting. On, like the more nice. like more like oily kind of mm-hmm. heavier spirits that have that little bit of a sulfur note, I guess. Or if you, I think if I was to try and explain it, I, th- I think of whiskey and structure. So yeah. the famous Grouse's structure is that, that if we get the blend right, um, it should start at the front, it should carry to the back, and it should build as it goes back. Right. And the sherry, sherry casks help fill in that back end. We also have some um, fruity, smoky spirit that we use, which which helps fill in the back end and add lift. And then the oily stuff essentially um, sort of sits in the middle. Our grain whiskey pulls everything even further back again on the palate. And then this, um, this sulfury stuff just drags everything down. It gives it depth. A base note. And to me, that's that's what makes Famous Guys so special. We're using huh. less bourbon casts than everyone else. But also, you've got this depth, this really sort of yeah. heavy um, back end, which is almost um, enigmatic of, of some of the, the lighter single malts out there. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I find that quite unique for for our um, for our particular recipe. As a former bass player, Dave, I feel like that particularly appeals to you. Yeah. That description. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I'm like... fascinated by texture and spirits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I've done work on on a couple of blends like rum blends and things like that, and it's amazing. Like two percent of, yeah. of pot still uh, rum into 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 a column still rum completely changes the the character. Mm. Yeah, and suddenly you get and it doesn't sound like much at all, but uh, it's it's enough to suddenly make it a you know a little bit oily and. It weighs down, as you said, sinks down on your on your tongue a little better, and uh, you know fills in the cracks, so to speak. Uh, it, yeah. It's it's really it's it's a fascinating art, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm I'm lucky enough to be I'm I'm surrounded by you know uh, whiskey makers for for some of our single malt brands. Um, so Gordon from Highland Park and Laura mm-hmm. from Glenrothes and, and occasionally um, Kirstine from McAllen will pop her head in as well. And that's a, that's a phenomenal place to be when those when the, the, the discussions kick off. But yeah. every single discussion we have about how whiskeys go together, we all come up with mm-hmm. the same conclusion and that it's just mad. It's magic. Like you can yeah. you cannot understand it. Um, you can take notes and you can build experience and you can start to see how things might look together. But... Um, it's very, very rare that you'll be able to blend something in your head, and then it will, you know, it will not come out exactly as you as you right, thought. Right. Um, which is, yeah. which is the beauty of it. It's the reason that yeah. we go to work with a massive smile on our face every day. You know. Yeah. Well, I think it's also interesting, you know, some of the stuff that you talk you touched upon. You know, when we talk about like barrel finishing or finishing whiskey today, mm-hmm. we 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 think of that as like a 
modern invention, right? But in fact, mm. you know, you know, so many like famous grouse, so many Scotch Scotch brands start out as grocery stores where they're, you know, selling all types of products, right? And mm-hmm. yeah. they're selling sherry and port and wine barrels, right? And, and those barrels, while there are a lot of myths and legends about barrels being reused and stuff, I think we can safely say that the grocers were definitely refilling barrels that had held sherry or port that had come in and they'd yeah. refill it mm-hmm. with locally made, you know, uh, whiskey. I mean, this was before uh, most spirits and and like things like fortified wines were sold but sold in bottles. Exactly. They they were wholesaled yeah. in, in 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 the cask. It was a cask trade. Whiskey too. Yeah. I mean, all, everything yeah. was, you know, the liquor. The grocery store doubles as a liquor store, as a bar, as a pub, as everything, right? Mm-hmm. And they would buy the barrels from a distiller, or middle, you know, like an entrepreneur or a rectifier, or whatever blender, whatever vintner or some importer, and then they would, you know, like the tea, break it down in the store, and people would come with mm-hmm. a flask or a bottle or a jug, and and fill it up, and that's and and there was a lot of you know. Before recycling was called recycling, people would reuse barrels and decanters and jars. Those were expensive stuff. as hell. <laughs> you know, those things were handmade. They still are. They still yeah, they are, still are. Yeah. It still holds. Does, does it have a hole in it? No, refill it. That's what you know. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen one built, you know, it's like it's you like understand a tank. why they're expensive. Absolutely, it's, made the it's last a miracle those that those things come together. Absolutely, it's phenomenal. But yeah, I mean to like that that I think the, the landed gentry across here um would have the they'd have casks essentially in their basement. Absolutely. And they would yeah. and they would they would tap them so far up so that it would never quite get empty, which is a really quite a smart way to do things. And mm-hmm. and um I'm trying to think who I was talking to. It might have been Charlie McLean was telling me that um our old friend our monocle wearing friend. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he was telling me that's where the term butler came from. They were the butler. They went down yeah, the to bottler. the exactly. basement and, yeah. and they, they bottled. So he was the person who had the keys to the cellar. He <laughs> sent downstairs to fill us some bottles from the from the barrels. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, it was a good key to have. It was a good key to have always. I mean, are you kidding? It had to be a pretty trusted employee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's also funny. I think is. That like you get famous grouse, like there's no coincidence that it starts right at the turn of the century. And in America, you have a little game called golf exploding in popularity, as well as the highball cocktails exploding mm-hmm. in America at the same time. And grouse is right there at like the perfect, perfect moment to kind of step into all of that. The, the highball is is essential to like the first adaptation of, of Scotch in America, you know, where it really goes big. Yeah, people weren't drinking uh, whiskey on the rocks, for instance, or all the bartenders and whiskey, you know, super fans, you know, self-proclaimed experts who always, you know, scoff at, you know, me asking for ice or a splash of soda, you know, or horrified, like the dawn of the Scotch age. That's how Scotch was being drunk. Well, in America, single malt was being shipped over in barrels, and you only drank it in, to- in hot toddies. Exactly. You know? I mean, that was the is... only way. <laughs> these, 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 these barrels would get sit, sit in the basement of bars for 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 a decade, and you get you know a barrel of pure Isla malt uh, of the the finest kind, and boiling water, lemon peel, sugar. Done. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it was yeah. used for. 
Nobody was drinking it out of snifters. <laughs> with airs, with a side of airs. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, 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 Dave and I, one of our pet projects, I think, is is to get more Scotch cocktails, and, and hopefully, we'll see folks doing that. And and I think, you know, brands like Famous Grouse are so perfect for making all types of drinks. I mean, that's yeah. that's what they're made. It's made for. It's literally designed for mixed drinks. So you know. Um, Hopefully, uh, our listeners will be encouraged to, uh, to 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 mix up some kind of cocktail with famous grouse if it if it works out. Or at, least, or at least try a low flyer. Exactly, low flyer. So a low flyer, you should is a small glass of famous grouse with a with like a pint of of beer. Is that the a half pint? A half pint, like a lager or like a heavier beer or like it's it's personal preference. The other the other day we have. Um... We we went to a bar that had hand pump ale. That that was that was Ooh. one of the big things that's, I missed down, down in that's Aldi. That's my thing. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we had a um, we had a red ale uh, across here. So a sort of amber ale uh, yeah. with finest, um, and that really that helped bring out the hoppiness in the beer. And then um, it brought out uh, some of the sort of there's 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 a, a beautiful sort of underlying freshness in Famous Grouse Finest that is quite difficult to find but with with a red ale it was it was bringing out you know slightly fresh grassy really tropical fruity notes um and then the other one that um that our guest from dallas tried was a porter with the smoky black um, oh there you go oh. and i tell you what smoky black is the funnest thing to put together because what we do with that is we build i say we it's 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 me that has to do it now but basically <laughs> i build a uh an isla and smoky highland basically heart you know a really smoky mm-hmm. heart so it's got some of it's got some of the the heaviest peated stuff from isla but then we use uh, smoky highland stuff which the peats from a different place so it smells and tastes different it's got this kind mm-hmm. of nuttiness yeah. to it it reminds mm-hmm. me of roasted brazil nuts and we'll bring that together in in different proportions depending on the the batch that we're putting together uh, and then we add that to famous guys finest for the uh, the team at home that are listening, if smoky whiskey puts them off, this is the this is the one that might actually change their mind because we aim for it to have a recognizable smoke, but it's not gonna you know it's not gonna completely overpower your palate like mm. a, like an Isla single malt. And I also find that smoky whiskies are easier to approach if you have a little bit of warning. But I also find that mm-hmm. most of your smoky Isla single malt drinkers will give you a glass and then sit back and laugh as you, you know, take a big sip and, and, and get something you're not expecting. But um, it is, it's a robust flavor, but it can be really, really quite complex. So to build that in, with just, you know, a wisp of smoke on top of Famous Grouse Finest. Uh, that's, that's what, that's, that's smoky black. That, that to me is uh, a very enjoyable way to, to get your, to get your, your PT hit. I could see that going with a porter very well also. Yeah. So low flyer, so that is so like an ounce, an ounce, two ounces of the smoky black famous grouse with like, like a half pint of porter. Half pint, of, half pint of porter, yeah. We'll be uh, mixing up some low flyers uh, today, toasting your your honor, Craig. Thank you for uh, yeah. the the reminder and the tip. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully yeah. you'll join us. We'll raise a glass. I look forward to uh, clinking glasses in person. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, me too. It's been a it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks for uh, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Cheers. 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 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers.